0: This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his
1: guest. Get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best.
0: Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. He is a writer, a storyteller, and even more nouns, it's Derek Traub. Hi, nice to be here. Oh, thank you for being here in my strange little apartment. (laughs) Uh, So... I want to start right away with your other nouns, with, with what you do, because you're one of the guests that I, I don't know as well one-on-one. We did a show together with a Story Collider that I co-produced with Audrey Kearns, and you told an amazing story, and were great to work with, and a great writer, so I thought I should have Derek on Obsessed, but I don't know a ton about what all you do, and kind of how, how you, what nouns you
1: apply to yourself. Ah, uh, that's a... <laughs> Good broad question. <laughs> um, I think the sort of the top tier noun is writer. Uh, everything else I do is kind of subordinate to that. Okay. Um, my day job is with the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic, and I've been a writer there for about eight years. And I started as their grant writer, and then my role just kind of evolved into doing all kinds of different types of writing. And now I sort of characterize my job as in-house journalist for the L.A. Phil. <laughs> so
0: That's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, when they need a story told, I'm kind of the one who runs down and, and finds it and interviews people and
0: writes it. Was there like a specific moment where you were like writing grants and somebody was running around the L.A. Phil and going, we need somebody to write something else. Hey, how about you, Grant Writer?
1: Um, yeah, it's sort of like... Writing is one of those skills that when you have it, people will exploit it. (laughs) So it starts informally as, hey, Derek, can you just proofread this for me? And then it comes to, oh, Derek, would you mind editing this? And it's like, oh, actually, you know, you do such a good job. Can you just write it? So... (laughs) Um, When you're a grant writer, part of your job is to sort of find out these sort of interesting stories of impact about the organization and the work that it's doing. So as a part of that work, I would interview our staff about the incredible stuff, how they put shows together, or our musicians about their insane lives, or um, we have a youth orchestra called Youth Orchestra Los Angeles, YOLA. And so I spent a lot of time interviewing the students that's part of this, and they're all uh, come from underserved communities and have and are these extraordinary young musicians. And so getting to tell their stories, it was kind of like it was a really easy thing for me because their stories were so compelling, I just had to get out of the way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it seems like grant writing is uh, a mixture of the sort of technical, right? Because you are giving lots of information uh, in numbers, right? But Mm -hmm. it's also you're totally selling why the community needs this, and why it's vital, and how you're fulfilling
1: the mission It's all like those kind of romantic storytelling. Exactly. It's really, yeah. It's this balance between like following a recipe, basically, because uh, foundations or whoever you're writing the grant for sort of lay out all these specific questions they want answered. So you're just you're hitting all of those, and it's a very perfunctory way. But then you have to step back and make sure that all these little individual details you've put together tell a larger story.
0: Okay, yeah. And you wrote a book about the whole history of the LAFL, right?
1: Yes. So our centennial season, our centennial year was 2019. And so kind of at the last minute, the institution decided, oh, hey, we should write a book. (laughs) And it was so last minute that they couldn't legitimately ask a real, uh, like, scholar or author to sit down and write this thing. There was like two months and it was like, Derek, you write really fast and you know a lot of these people already. Why don't you write it?
0: So Are you just like walking down the hall with a coffee and somebody yells out of their their office, Derek, you going
1: to write a book. I mean, not literally but pretty close. Like There was a meeting request that came okay. and then they kind of cornered me and said, Derek, write this. And I was like, sure, yeah. And I worked on a, a, actually a it wasn't just me. It was sort of a close-knit little team of writers and creative uh, people within the organization who put this project together, and it, it turned out super cool, and we're super happy with it.
0: Okay, cool. I have to ask you a dumb question then. Go ahead. Uh, so I, you know, I mostly lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota, visited some other places, and then moved to Los Angeles, because those, those are my two cities of note, which will probably come up in this podcast. Uh, so I don't know if it's a common thing for uh, Philharmonics to be called Phil elsewhere. But when I got here, like the before I even saw any signs, I heard somebody say, yeah, got to go see L.A. Phil. And I was really like, is that your pot dealer? Like, it sounded so <laughs> weird to me. And I was like, oh, no, it's the L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra. Yeah. So is that normal to um, just go by Phil or is that an L.A. thing?
1: That's in- That's a really interesting question. Um, there's actually a short chapter in the book about this because okay. like, the name of the orchestra changed over time. Um, the short answer to your question is that um, the Los Angeles Philharmonic as an organization is actually a lot of things. So we have the orchestra itself, which plays out of Walt Disney Concert Hall downtown, but then we also manage the Hollywood Bowl, And that means that the L.A. Phil is both the house orchestra of the Hollywood Bowl and we also uh, present tons of concerts. We're we're a concert presenter. So you have jazz and world music and uh, we do big movie nights and all of these different things. And then downtown, we also uh, program jazz and other types of music. So it's to get at this idea that The Los Angeles Philharmonic is an orchestra, but the L.A. Phil is this organization that does all these different things. It's your buddy who puts on shows. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that really works then. Yeah. So that was the idea, but it's funny because literally no one outside of the building probably understands that distinction or where it comes from.
0: (laughs) So you dug up some real history for everyone. Yep. All right. Well, that's a a good dovetail into your actual obsession, which I'm so excited to talk about, which is just sort of the city of Los Angeles, right? It's a... its history and its culture and all those things uh so you told me a little bit when we were discussing this over email that you are, are native to Los Angeles moved away and moved back so kind of yes. want to start with that and and go back to your youth and just what your initial experience of Los Angeles was mm-hmm. and what
1: you thought of it oh interesting so I grew up on the west side of LA and uh you know Los Angeles is an enormous city and yeah. I kind of had this sort of a uh, somewhat sheltered childhood growing up in like a nice kind of um suburban side of Los Angeles and then I went to college at UCLA so I kind of spent my whole life kind of in this bubble of LA and then as soon as I like, graduated from college I just wanted to be anywhere else just try <laughs> something else okay so I moved to New York and then to Washington DC and spent kind of some formative years in my 20s on the east coast and then for various life reasons ended up back in Los Angeles about 10 years ago and um, I thought it would be like a couple years move back home reset and then take off to the next place but Los Angeles kind of, I moved to downtown Los Angeles, which was when I was growing up, not a place that too many people lived. It was um, sort of a business center and then it's reinvented itself as a residential center. And so I fell in love with Los Angeles in a completely different way. And so I have kind of a new understanding of the city and even the boundaries of what defines the city have changed to me the sort of the geographic and the center of it. Um, So anyways, that's kind of my journey.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, and I want to touch on on a lot of that. But just going back to when you were first here, Mm -hmm. uh, like me going up in Minneapolis, Los Angeles can be like a faraway magical place where important things happen. And if you particularly if you care about the entertainment industry or other large industries that are based here, because it is you know, uh, a city of many industries um, in a large metropolis where many important things happen that affect the rest of the world. So you can have this very romantic, both positive and negative, LA, like it's uh, so hard to even imagine with the palm trees and the blah, blah, blah. Did you have any sense of that being in the middle of it or was it just the city you live in and you didn't absorb how much the rest of the world has opinions about Los Angeles, whether they've been here or not?
1: I had no idea (laughs) at all. Um, And I have a lot of friends who grew up here and have never left and they don't understand that L.A. is a bubble and that the rest of the world isn't like here. Um, Yeah, I had no clue. And I also because I experienced a lot of these things that other people saw in film and TV first. So I sort of knew what they really were. I knew what people have these romantic visions of Hollywood, and then you get to Hollywood Boulevard and you're like, ooh, that's kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> not to be unfair to Hollywood, it has wonderful, amazing things, but the streets are really dirty. And so I grew up knowing that. I knew what it was like to go up to Hollywood Boulevard and not Hollywood boulevard today like hollywood boulevard 20 years ago
0: yeah it was in a little r- rougher shape right mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i mean i i think that's a, a was a fun thing for me to come here as an adult and really able to process contrast of fantasy and reality and and coming from a comedic uh, perspective enjoying that and going like wow there's dean martin's star i'm a fan of dean martin mm-hmm. there's also a mystery fluid on it that could be anything right and you, it's <laughs> that immediate mixture of the honest like romance of stardom and the reality of we're all humans totally and this is a city that people live in yes yeah Yeah. cool so when you were living here uh I, I have found a thing that people who have never been here don't uh, – maybe don't fully comprehend is how sprawling L.A. Mm-hmm. is and that you can still be in L.A. and then it can take you an hour because of traffic and because of physical distance mm-hmm. to get from the west side to the east side or even longer. So it's – you're able to grow up in Los Angeles and just stay in your area. Exactly. So when you were growing up here all the way through your 20s, did did you go places in Los Angeles or did you – Literally stay in the West Side because you can. All of the amenities you would ever want, you know,
1: grocery stores, movie theaters, they're all available in each pocket neighborhood, right? Totally. Um, As I got older, I got bolder. (laughs) I remember... When I was like 16, I first had my driver's license and like my best friend and I found out about this record store in Echo Park, which couldn't have been, which is funny because Echo Park is now five minutes from where I live and I'm there all the time, (laughs) but it couldn't have been a further world away. And we drove down Sunset Boulevard all the way. It's like a Steve Martin in one of his stories calls it like a monopoly board in reverse. Like (laughs) things just get cheaper and cheaper as you go along. And so we end up we started at like nine thousand sunset and we ended up at like three thousand something sunset at this yeah. record store called Destroy All Music. And it was a super um, like, this was not a neighborhood that kids from the west side were normally in. And we okay. get out, and we feel like we're in a different world, and we go in this record store, and it's kind of amazing. And it's, you know, long since gone. And I looked up the address a couple years ago, and it had become, I think, a vegan yogurt shop. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, the city's changed a little bit.
0: Yeah, a city in transition. So when you left, was it really like uh, the way other people come to LA where like, I need to see more of the world. I'm going to go to Los Angeles or New York or London. And
1: you were like, I've seen enough of Los Angeles. I need to go somewhere else. Exactly. I had this really sort of naive understanding is like, I have figured out LA. And (laughs) now I realize that like, I've lived here, like, on and off for 30 years. And I still there are places I'm not aware of. But yeah, I had this sort of yeah, view that a lot of people, I think, have at that age of, like, 19, 20, is, like, I'm going to go do, just be anywhere else. Okay. And you said you went to New York? Yes, I did a year of grad school in New York, and then uh, decided I didn't (laughs) want to be an academic. (laughs) Um, And then I ended up working in Washington, D.C., in government and nonprofit.
0: Okay. So when you were out of L.A., did you develop different feelings about it? Did you... Did you miss it, or did you start to develop any sort of negative feelings about it from the outside?
1: Oh, interesting. Um, I, that's a really good question. Yeah, I came to appreciate things about it that I never appreciated, like good weather 365 (laughs) days of the year. And I, I like the cold. I like winter. It's such a novelty for me. But like, I would, when I was living in New York, and I would come back in january and it was 70 degrees and like it was just so refreshing and nice to get that little break yeah um and then yeah i really and it's also funny because growing up i always considered myself like super uptight i was very serious and um or just kind of like I uh, took myself a little seriously, and then I moved to the East Coast. And everyone was like, Derek, you're so laid back in California. <laughs> and I realized I was just maybe on the wrong coast.
0: <laughs> it was just because you weren't like... What were you doing that was laid back? Do you Were you, like, not yelling at cabs? I don't know. I, that's a terrible New York stereotype, but...
1: Yeah, there's... No, but there there's a gruffness to the East Coast that I was just shocked by when I got there. And, you know, California, you walk into your coffee shop, and they've never... These people have never met you before, and they greet you with a smile, and a how are you, and how's your day? And New York, maybe it's different now, but at least at the time, you'd go in and, like, they wouldn't crack a smile. You take your order and get you out the door and then you go and after a few months they start recognizing you and then you've worn them down and then <laughs> like then they'll acknowledge you slowly at first and then you kind of make a connection, but it's just yeah, it was culturally very shocking. I got to New York and I was like, why is everyone so angry? And it was like, <laughs> they are not. This is just how they are.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're just saying hello in a pleasant, positive voice and people are like, what are you hiding? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, I can understand that. So did you take any negative, um, did you get negative responses from people when you told them that you were from Los Angeles when you were living in other places? And, and if so, what what were the kinds of responses?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) People will not hesitate to share their opinions on LA with you. Um, I was in, well, I was in academia at first and like in the classics. I studied ancient Greek and Latin and you would tell people from these sort of hoity-toity East East Coast schools, oh, yeah, I did my undergrad at UCLA. And they'd be like, oh, well, Berkeley's a good school. (laughs) And it's like, well, F you. Um, And so there's sort of this East Coast, West Coast uh, prejudice to some degree. And then um, part of the reason why I want to talk about LA is that I feel like I understand the criticisms of it. It's really... I feel like you get to New York and the things that are good about it are really obvious. And you come to L.A. and the things that make the city interesting are a little harder to find. Yeah, Um, I live downtown and I see tourists walking around like sort of that when you walk around in a circle looking at your phone and it's clear that you're lost and you can't (laughs) orient yourself because it you'd think downtown would be the center of something and it's the center of nothing and all the streets kind of weave on top and below each other. So it's really hard to navigate and there are wide swaths of nothing between interesting things. And so I see people struggling with LA and I was like, N- I-, I just want to help them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you decided to come back, it was, was it out of longing for Los Angeles to rediscover it or is it just a practical, like, I feel more at home?
1: It was funny. I was actually, my girlfriend at the time was moving back was moving to Los Angeles for school. She was uh, uh, not from LA. And so I decided, like, oh, I I like LA, I don't mind. So I went along with her. and um, But I really just thought it would be, oh, a couple years while she was getting this degree. And I would, you know, kick around, spend some time with friends and family, and then get off to the next place. And I just, uh, the relationship actually ended, but I, my relationship with LA, uh, didn't. <laughs> A new
0: romance. So was there any specific, uh, insight? Like you just had this great insight, which I think is very true of like, you, you have to work at it or be guided to find some of what's really shining and beautiful about Los Angeles besides the weather, which is immediately obvious. Right. Um, but did you did you have any other moments where you fell in love? You were describing mm. it as a romance, where you had a epiphany moments of this isn't just my hometown. This is a town I'm fascinated
1: with. Yeah, another really good question. <laughs> um, the, one moment comes to mind, and this is a very like L.A. thing, but we famously have not had public transportation and uh that's changing and within the last 10 years they've completely opened a new line called the Expo line which is like a main east-west thoroughfare through the heart of Los Angeles and maybe two or 3 years ago they ex- it it ran from downtown which is you know pretty far east through the whole west side and now it about 2 years ago they opened it where it now runs to Santa Monica right to the pier wow And which is crazy, because if you have to drive that and find parking, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And I remember it was a Friday. They opened the train and I rode from downtown to um, Culver City, which is kind of near where my parents live. And then my dad got on the train and we met up at Culver City and then we rode the rest of the way on the first day to Santa Monica. And I stepped out of the train in Santa Monica and I hadn't driven there and I was there. And you know that feeling in a dream where you're like, I'm here. How did I get here? Yeah. I don't know how I got here, but I'm here. I It felt like a dream. And it was like, I now can just hop on a train from downtown and 45, 50 minutes later be in Santa Monica without parking or traffic or stress. And it's, I can do this anytime I want. And that was not the LA I grew up in.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think- uh, I think I experienced not being from here is so much of just the visual and some of the stereotypes that we get of Los Angeles are literally Santa Monica and Venice. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, people are always on roller skates. <laughs> right. At the beach and always, you know, exercising and yoga and health. And, you know, there's always palm trees and, uh, you know, the the pier. But uh, those are so often the visuals. But there's so much of L.A. that's just like, it's a residential houses mm-hmm. it's a grid right. there are oak trees and palm mm-hmm. trees There's yeah there's a little corner shop and like there's so much there's little parts of Minneapolis or uh, of Los Angeles my wife and I play the game of like hey if you didn't look that way and see the mountains we could be in Minneapolis totally so th- there's extra magic to that of like Santa Monica is like a little different world from other parts of Los Angeles so to just be able to go quite a long distance from a downtown
1: area totally
0: to suddenly emerging in Santa Monica is really cool
1: Yeah. um, There's this great uh, thing that Dorothy Parker said about LA that uh, Los Angeles is 72 suburbs in search of a city. (laughs) And she meant that very critically, I'm sure. But I think that's it's kind of its selling point. If you don't like where you are, drive a mile in any direction, and you will be in a different small city. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's really great. I, I was reading up a little bit uh on history of L.A. and I hadn't known about kind of the history of its strange layout with uh, the the rail the rail cars mm-hmm. um, being basically built out in order to sell real estate, mm-hmm. and then once all the real estate was sold the actual rail line was not profitable anymore. (laughs) And that's part of the reason that the city is just sort of like, here's a neighborhood over here. Here's a neighborhood over here. And then it just kind of all grew together, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's kind of exactly right. Whereas other cities were limited by space constraints and um, the fact that they were built before we had cars. So San Francisco and New York built up and L.A. built out. And that was very deliberately by design. Part of what I had to research for this L.A. Phil Centennial History book is the history of L.A. in the 20s. And you have the Chandler family who were the L.A. Times uh, moguls, but they were also real estate moguls. And it's like hard to comprehend how much power (laughs) this one family had. And literally they would buy up Yeah, these these tracts of land places, including Hollywood, all the way out through the valley. And they were just orange groves and they would send roads there and send transportation there and send water there. And then suddenly it would be developed and they made unbelievable amounts of money. So and they were, yeah, literally. They shaped this city yeah. that we all now live in and try to get around as best we can.
0: Yeah, like for people who play board games, where you you play the kind of board game where the players make the map mm-hmm. together, and you just you get this tile and you have to lay it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and I you know again coming from Minneapolis and I think a lot of places in the Midwest, a lot of places in the world, it's absolutely based on resources. Minneapolis mm-hmm. radiates from St. Anthony Falls because it powered the flour mills. But then, you know, when that area was kind of going down, everything started to radiate around lakes because that's a resource of economy in some ways. You know, like in L.A., obviously, uh, for the entertainment industry, had Mm -hmm. the sunlight as a resource. Uh, The ocean is obviously Mm -hmm. a resource. But then there's lots in between of like no reason to live here except somebody who wanted to make money said, hey, I'll put a train there. Then you can get there. Then you can live there. Then you can pay me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I think there's something about... The uh, the feeling of L.A. that uh, of the Dorothy Parker quote about it's a bunch of little cities that just we'd have no elbow room between each other (laughs) and we're mostly all a city, you know.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: But I think that specific idea is um, why there why you can feel a lot more community in L.A. Mm -hmm. when you live here than when you drive through here because people don't realize like, well, if you just if you live here, you'll start to see. The specific flavor of your community and your grocery store and, you know, the movie theater that you can walk to and all that kind of stuff. And that idea of like, hey, there's no walking in L.A. Well, yeah, right. if you're in Hollywood and want to get to Santa Monica, you are not going to walk. Right. But if I want to get any basic need met, I can easily walk to do it and go
1: a very long time without a car. Totally. Yeah. yeah there Because I live and work downtown, like my car sits for days at a time without me driving it, which is like... Yeah, I feel like every American city kind of or every city probably has its drawbacks, the things that make it hard. And if you can find a workaround or find a way to live with that, those things, you'll be really happy there. And L.A., it's the traffic, it's the getting places. And if you can figure that out, like, yeah, you can build a really happy life here.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you were talking about um, having to study or getting to study uh, LA history for the LA Phil book. Do you have a particular favorite era of history or angle of history? Because there's there's so much that built the area, right? Mm -hmm. There's an oil boom, there's the entertainment industry deciding to come here. There's, you know, in West Hollywood, there's a history of both the mafia and uh, gay people making, you know, a home. Uh, There's all sorts of elements right la history is there a part that speaks to you in particular
1: yeah that's an interesting question because i just wrote a centennial book (laughs) uh my mind goes to a hundred years ago okay and it uh la in 1919 roundabout was on the brink of this explosion over the next decade something like a million and a half people moved to southern california which is crazy la county today is like 10 million people so it's just this massive it's the largest population boom i think in human history to that point wow and so you uh When you live in L.A. in 2019, we're about to experience, like, centennial fever. Like, the (laughs) L.A. Phil's centennial is this year. UCLA's centennial is this year. Um, The Huntington in Santa Monica, or in Pasadena, they're having their centennial this year. And over the next decade, all of these institutions of Los Angeles will be celebrating their 100th birthday. And so when you go back and you study... uh, Los Angeles of 1919 you get a lot of the flavor of these things that set up and um that set up what was about to come for Los Angeles and the sort of dichotomy as you were saying between the boosters and these uh real estate moguls who Sold this vision of Los Angeles and then the sort of gritty, corrupt underbelly of Los Angeles that rode underneath it. And we still see these two things playing out in the city today.
0: Yeah. So uh, what happened in 1919 specifically that all of these large cultural institutions blew up? Was it just, was it boosterism of like, we were trying to make good on the promise of what we're (laughs) telling other people LA is? so. We need to have things like
1: orchestras and yeah. public gardens and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty much it was that. <laughs> um, yeah, there is this confluence in, around that time of the um, the railroads had been completed uh, or were about to be. I'm not sure exactly. And the war had just ended. Right. And, um, you have, uh, the oil is discovered and, um, water is stolen. And so (laughs) you suddenly have all of these resources in this one place that makes development possible. And then you have a few extremely wealthy visionary people who, um, decided they wanted to do it. Um, it part. One of the amazing stories is actually the L.A. Phil itself uh, was founded by an eccentric millionaire named (laughs) William Andrews Clark, Jr. And he was a the like scion of a mining magnate family from Montana. And he moved to Los Angeles. Um, It's kind of tragic, actually. His uh, he had he his first wife dies. Um, in childbirth, his second wife dies of disease and then his son is actually killed in a plane crash. Oh, God. And he is without a family and, uh, he moves to LA and he kind of sells off the mining business and he decides to just commit himself to his two passions. One is book collecting and that actually still survives in the William Andrews Clark Library. And the other is music and classical music and that survives in the form of the LA Phil. Uh, But where the story gets really interesting is that Clark, after his second wife died, decided that, well, he was just out of fucks to give. (laughs) And so he was bisexual or gay, and he just decided to live his truth unapologetically. And there actually was already an orchestra in L.A., the Los Angeles Symphony, and the old money of the Los Angeles Symphony wanted nothing to do with Clark because he was this misfit, this Montana uh, mining uh, bumpkin who also led what, you know, is described as a, quote, nefarious lifestyle, which is code for something. <laughs> yeah. And so Clark just goes and he founds his own orchestra, um, pays for it himself, and it's so much better than the Los Angeles Symphony that it just puts the Los Angeles Symphony out of business two years later. And yeah, and the rest is history. All right, yeah. Good. The nefarious orchestra survives. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's awesome. <laughs> a yeah,
0: good that's a that's a thing that has struck me both going to cultural things and reading up a little bit. How much of L.A. is shaped, and I'm sure other places, but but it has a specific kind of resonance uh, in L.A. because it's still obviously going on with lots of rich people making choices mm-hmm. that so many things are just eccentric millionaires of why do we have this thing Mm -hmm. we can we can put on this view of history of like well i'm sure a bunch of reasonable people got together (laughs) and said it would be good to have a big public park and then maybe an observatory where we could learn nope Mm -mm. eccentric millionaire saw some stars and said everybody should see the stars and it will change the world and he does this beautiful thing and then kills his wife like eccentric millionaire
1: Right, right. It's the same. Yeah, Griffith W. Griffith.
0: Yeah. (laughs) As weird as his
1: name is.
0: Right. Just unbelievable. Uh, And I was reading about the Getty as well, Mm -hmm. about how that was also just like a guy who alienated his entire family, but was entirely rich and was just kind of obsessive about collecting art. And was like, "I, I don't know. I don't want to get rid of it. I don't look at it. I don't even really like it. I don't even know why I collect it. But here's a bunch of money. Figure out where to put it. Right. Exactly. Eccentric millionaire.
1: Right. Yeah, you go up to the Getty Villa. and I was just there a couple of weeks ago, and there's this recreated Roman villa just stuck in the side of the mountain in Malibu <laughs> because there's one weird dude who thought there should be. Like, that's L.A.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, that's what's very exciting about it is I think there, it, there's obviously dark, awful stuff. There's horrible tragedy, as there is most places. There's, you know, what happens when somebody has a lot of money, but there's also just something... Human about it, like mm-hmm. you dig into these stories, and it's like, well, maybe this museum wouldn't be there if this person had a better relationship with their children, right. or like if this person hadn't, uh, with the LA Phil, hadn't encountered all of these life tragedies, would they have been able or wanted to to kind of create the beauty in art? Totally, that they did. So there's this also this just like humanity of it, which for me gets back to, eh, it's fine to talk about dreams, and it's fine to have this right. place be a place of fantasy. This place to be. Not fantasy is in denial, but fantasy of what could possibly be. Totally. Because it just has that in its DNA.
1: Right. Yeah. I like they say fake it until you make it. And yeah. in LA I'm like, just keep faking it. Like
0: <laughs> no one will ask. <laughs> fake it, leave some money to people, and they'll make it for you eventually. Exactly. Uh so you you've talked a little bit about uh kind of some of the culture that people can't see. In terms of that kind of culture what what do you think is something that's really unique to l a be food or parks or museums
1: that's that's
0: different in l a
1: um the the first thing that comes to mind is the performing arts and <laughs> not just because I work for a performing arts organization <laughs> I'm not even talking about the one that I work for. Um, the bar to entry is just really low in LA and like you get a few friends together in a 99 seat theater and you've got an improv troupe with its own show. And so I, um, just, I'm, I go out like five or six nights a week, not because I love going out just cause there's so much to see and so much to do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I have been taking classes and enjoying shows at a, um, place called the Impro Theater, which is one of the many improv schools in Los Angeles, but they're up on the second floor of a strip mall and you wouldn't... I, I, I love bringing friends to shows there because they look at me like, where are we going? It's like next to a vape shop and above a tanning parlor. And you walk... Theater. Exactly. Yeah. And you walk in and they do narrative and genre-based long-form improv. Um, they have like a Star Trek inspired show and a Twilight Zone inspired show and a Sondheim inspired show. And... You you see the most exceptional theater and the most talented actors and they're in a strip mall and yeah. it's like they're doing shows four nights a week and you can just go and be blown away and I feel like, yeah, I have to go out every night because I'm going to miss something that will never <laughs> happen again and yeah, that's and that's just everywhere in LA. Yeah,
0: so just the volume of things to do if it's mm-hmm. you you like I mean, my friend organizes a uh, taco truck crawl you know yeah. which is something you can do or if you like you really love specific kind of movies i went to a uh, almost sold out screening of david lynch's mulholland drive on monday at 10 a.m you know like <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's not any one thing you mentioned somebody could say and they would be right well you can do that mm-hmm. in another city but i think there is something about the volume of it. Yes. And there is something about the real contrast between um, what people might perceive from the outside. Like when I first got here, the uh, the Nerd Melt Showcase uh, right. was, you know, Nerd Melt Showroom was like the epicenter of alternative Righty. comedy radiating out to the world. So mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, you know, people knew all of these different acts. They knew, you know, Dan Harmon's podcast. Right. So when I was just visiting, I'm like, I'll go see that. And like... It, it, what it's? <laughs> I knew I was in the back of a comic book shop, and oh I frequent comic God, book shops, yeah. but like, there is nothing fancy or special or nice about this space at all. You know, like, you can hear people flushing the toilet during the podcast. There, one of the unique things of that theater is. There was a large community of crickets. Yes. So if you ever had a quiet moment in a comedy show, you would immediately hear crickets like it was a fucking Warner Brothers cartoon, <laughs> and they hated your show. <laughs> I kept going to show after show and doing shows, and people would wait for the cricket pause because the crickets would always get their laugh in. Yep. You know, so it, that, that, uh, that divide between sort of what gets broadcast out mm-hmm. to the world of entertainment uh, versus the reality... And I think part of that, what's special that uh, about that to me is L.A. is such a community of many, many different communities that live here that have yes. nothing to do with the right? So, like, that, that strip mall that you're talking about, somebody who's just like, well, I'm a carpenter. I don't, I, I maybe couldn't even define improv comedy. It's going to the vape store at the same time you're going to the theater, right? Exactly. And it's just, uh, it is a place where people
1: live. Right. Yeah, everything is just interspersed. And yeah, the there are so many great things that are just not obvious and that are such a fun night out. Or I don't know if you've been to the um, Museum of Jurassic Technology. I have not been there City. yet. I will not spoil or say anything <laughs> about it, but it is $8 and go. <laughs> it is one of the... Str- like. The only thing I tell people about it is like, this is not a museum. This is a piece of installation art in the form of an entire museum and just go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were talking also about the the criticism of LA from the outside that it's hard to find these things. So if you were showing someone around LA and like maybe you didn't even know anything about them, like a friend of a friend said, hey, here's basically a, for you a blank slate of a person, mm-hmm. what do you plan for them to do to show them the best of what L.A. can be?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, it starts with, like I said, the sort of the cultural calendar, uh, looking at what's on at Impro, what's on at the Largo, what's... Um, uh on the various like improv and comedy theaters around town and then I have like my sort of personal favorites um like I love to take people to the Magic Castle in Hollywood who have never been there because it's a crazy place unlike anything else (laughs) and um yeah just to see people react to it is so much fun
0: yeah okay so just things that that you feel like they are not going to see elsewhere in kind of a a wide swath of things
1: yeah um yeah i think that's kind of it and it's yeah
0: okay cool yeah uh i i think there's uh something about just actual geography that really shapes people Mm -hmm. i think uh it's always possible to oversell it but again coming from minneapolis in saint paul um Everybody from the outside is like, oh, cold. Yep, extremely cold. Except for in the summer, extremely (laughs) hot. So it is a very extreme place. Uh, So a part of the boosterism that sold Minneapolis and St. Paul was basically calling other people chickens, and like <laughs> daring people, you know, and saying like, you you might think that you've uh, breathed fresh air, but you've never breathed the, you know, zero degree <laughs> fresh air that St. Paul has to offer, and only the sturdiest of pioneers can make that's it.
1: That's so funny. So like, that's
0: just one example of like, in the, in the winter, there's that psychology that still exists to this day of, it is proving to yourself that you can do it, right? Right. And then in the summer, uh there is just an explosion uh, you know it, it you take that the stereotypical energy of the last day of school for like a sixth <laughs> grader and that's the entire community in the summer because wow. we have all of our outdoor festivals then we have a large theater festival mm-hmm. you know we have a, a just go outside and eat ribs festival <laughs> rib fest like you do everything you know there's the state fair and the renaissance festival and you do everything because this is these are the months where you can really be outside totally. in some amount of of comfort so then you go to the stereotypes of the people in that area is that kind of passive aggression, right? That there's like a level of you that is kind of closed off and scrunched because you are cold for mm-hmm. over half the year. And then right. underneath there's something boiling. <laughs> That's really <laughs> ready to get out. And like, to me, uh, those, those are generalizations. Mm-hmm. But there's a match to the geography, to the weather, to the psychology.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: So I was curious, if you accepted that premise, what you think the the psychological, sociological impacts of the actual geology, the climate of Los Angeles might be?
1: That's interesting. I think it plays into both sides of the positive and the negative. When, like, L.A. invented noir, and noir is really rooted in this existential dread. And I honestly <laughs> think part of that comes from you... There are no seasons. There are no changes. So if you're in a good place, great. But if you're in it not, there's nothing to wait for. (laughs) I lived in, like, when I lived in D.C., like, that first, like, Saturday when, like, it was above cold and, like, everyone goes out to the park in shorts and flip-flops and frisbees and hacky sack and everyone's loving it. That doesn't happen here. It's not like, oh, it's the first day we can go to the beach. It's, oh, you can go to the beach 52 weekends a year. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, so, and then the other side of it is if you go back and you look at all those boosters and the ads of people trying to get people to Los Angeles, a lot of them were targeted at people in places like Minnesota and Kansas and Nebraska who were dealing with extreme elements, who perhaps were unwell, who had tuberculosis or whatever it was. And it was come to California and our climate will heal you yeah. there was this real belief that the dry temperate climate would extend your life so you had like droves and droves of midwesterners coming to la as like this fountain of youth and, yeah yeah i think that sort of plays to this day people come here from everywhere for all kinds of reasons but there is this optimism that imbues it um, there's a street artist. I, I think her name or his name is uh, Ward Smith. And they uh, put up uh, a sign on the side of like a, a one of those electrical towers. And it said, do something every day to remind the city why the hell you're here mm. or remind yourself why the hell you're here. And it's like, yeah, I try. I try to actually do that.
0: Right. Yeah. I I love this because almost everything you're talking about is a kind of about forward motion in some way. So like Mm -hmm. a lot of people come here, entertainment industry or other reasons for specific dreams. Mm -hmm. And even going back to the boosterism of like, this is your happily ever after. This is where the sun is shining, Uh, you know, endless amounts of orange juice. (laughs) Totally. So, yeah, there's all of this like uh, the what can be positive energy of forward motion. Keep fighting for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love what you're saying about noir because I hadn't really thought about it that way. But yeah, it can be a weird sensation when people are grinding away um, at trying to make their dreams happen, right? Mm -hmm. But every day outside is like it is in the movies at the end of the movie when you've won, but you haven't won yet. (laughs) Right. And you're just like, are you mocking me, son? Like, you know, I've been in a bad mood for two weeks. Like, are you making fun of me? Like level of irony and consternation to it.
1: Right. Just give me a storm cloud or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, Make everyone as miserable as I am.
0: (laughs) Do you think there's anything uh, also to the the noir being invented here, certainly at the existential dread with uh, Raymond Chandler, Mm -hmm. um, but do you think there's anything to it that the city's kind of, its history is a lot of eccentric millionaires or just straight up criminals, right? With everything with uh, Mulholland himself wasn't a criminal, obviously, but everything around getting the water Mm -hmm. into Los Angeles is all, you know, it's, Chinatown movie inspirations and right. all sorts of stuff, you know, why the Valley is even part of Los Angeles, you know, all that kind of. Right. So, like, it's a lot of cities have that history of, like, yeah, early on there were lots of criminals. But L.A. just kind of wears it on its sleeve. And if you are aware of it, it's everywhere, right? That you're like, the right. street I'm driving on is because Mickey Cohen wanted the street. You know, like, right. that exactly. kind of thing. Do you think that's part of that, that history of the powers that be – trying to enrich themselves is so close to the surface.
1: Absolutely. And the juxtaposition between these utopian visions of Los Angeles and what really went into making Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, Chicago is corrupt through and through. We all knew that, but it was a cattle town. Like there was (laughs) nothing romantic about it. No offense to Chicago. I love it there. Yeah. But yeah, we sold it as this paradise, but yeah, it was on this, it sits on this rotten foundation. Yeah, And, Um, And then, uh, so you have that. And then in the 1930s, um, because of what was happening in Europe, you have this, uh, the era of, Uh, emigres and exiles and all of these great german expressionists artists in music and film and authors and playwrights came and converged on los angeles and saw that and recognized something in it yeah and you watch billy wilder's double indemnity and like he very clearly saw what was happening and characterized it in a way and, like, puts the automobile at the center of it because, like, he sees what's really weird about this place and what is that kind of existential dread and that uncertainty and he projects it on screen and it's so cool.
0: Yeah, in, uh to expose my own bias, you could look at that story of, like, the the lie of sunshine shining down on, you know, mm-hmm. the fetid history um, but to me, it's, it's just feels like an exaggeration of the reality of human potential, right? Hmm. Of like, yep, there's a lot of seedy, weird criminal stuff. Uh, but that doesn't invalidate somebody who like comes here cause they really want to create art. They make it work. And right. they are ha- like you, you're having a, you're, you're living a, a really good life, mm-hmm. right? You seem like you really enjoy your job. You work for a, a great institution. And the fact of anything weird in the history of the place doesn't change that you are actually living the life that the boosters tried to sell you
1: (laughs) right of course i'm yeah i'm actually third generation angelino so like yeah we bought in early and (laughs) like have just committed to it um yeah i love learning the kind of sorted history of the city and um all the different aspects that went into my organization over the last hundred years and its ups and downs yeah it makes me love it all the more because i'm I'm just genuinely fascinated by yeah, yeah. the city. <laughs>
0: Going back to climate uh, and what you said early on when you, you, you thought that you were maybe a little serious as a person. You go to New York and everybody thinks you're super laid back. <laughs> right. California an surfer dude. Right. Exactly. <laughs> do you think that growing up in the climate here, growing up in the constant sunshine, how do you think that did shape you? What do you think that truth is for you?
1: I am obsessed with winter as well. We could do this about pump. We could do this podcast about pumpkin spice right now. I love anything seasonal, anything that having to do with the changing of the seasons. I can never be cold enough, which okay. is the great irony of why I choose to live here. Um I, yeah, I love winter so much. I, I try every, it's dirt cheap, but also I love winter. So I travel to the East coast every January. Um, and I think that is absolutely a product of me coming from this climate and cold being such a novelty to yeah, me. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you feel like you, in in terms of your actual personality, do you feel like you are laid back? Do you feel like the people in New York were right? Or do you feel like it's more complex than that?
1: Uh, it, it, Like the the Neil Diamond song, <laughs> I'm not really this thing, I'm not really that thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm kind of caught, I think, between the two. And so I... I'm more, I, I have a lot, I need a, I have a day job that I love. It's a nine to five. I go, I clock in, I clock out. I cannot tell you how many people I know in LA who cobble together 50 different things and that's their job. And I like think, I think that's so admirable and I think it's so cool. I could never do that. (laughs) Like that stresses me the hell out. Okay. Um, yeah, but then, uh, I have friends in DC and New York who they work crazy hours and they wear suits and ties every day and like, it's the grind and they hate it and they love it and I want no part of that either. (laughs) So I'm kind of this weird hybrid. Okay.
0: That makes sense. Um, the question I like to ask uh, people on the podcast is given all of your, your, your studies of Los Angeles and your fascination with it. Has it ever affected a life choice, Hmm. your knowledge, especially after writing this book? Have you ever had a moment where like, hey, I need to decide something career wise, relationship wise, Hmm. and you're thinking back to something you learned because of your fascination with L.A.?
1: That's interesting. Um, Yeah, I think it was my I decided about seven years ago to move downtown Uh, I was working downtown and I was actually living on the west side which is an insane thing to do it's a commute yeah yeah and I was spending 10 hours a week in the car and I was like I'm just actually I it didn't occur to me my brother who's in real estate and is like he just sat me down and is like Derek you're being (laughs) an idiot just (laughs) live downtown it's so exciting it's like there's a new thing opening on every block every day. It's transforming. You're going to love it. You love being in real cities with access to public transit. Like this is where you're supposed to be. And I can't believe I was so resistant to it in retrospect. But I've been living downtown for the last seven years and I love every minute of it. And I maybe wouldn't still be living in LA had I not chosen to live downtown because it's doesn't feel like where i grew up it feels like somewhere entirely new
0: okay and it is the fact that it's going through a renovation it sounds like that is uh not a technical renovation but you know what i mean oh yeah Uh, absolutely a a renaissance both yeah Uh, so it's it's that that sounds like it's really exciting you because you brought it up a couple times Mm -hmm. of that you feel like you are living in a part of la that is old right i mean Mm -hmm. a lot of those buildings are decades and decades old right yeah um but it's also brand new.
1: Exactly. Yeah, my, it's funny. Yeah, My I live in a building called the Subway Terminal Building. <laughs> and yeah, it was the office building for the red car, LA's first subway. Wow. And they're actually, the tunnels of the original red car are still down there. And I, off the record, <laughs> I can admit to this, some of the staff who no longer work there took me down and I got to see the actual tunnels and it's amazing you see like these hand-painted subway signs of like a hand pointing to the track and it's just absolutely beautiful and it's all condemned right now but i hope they figure out what to do with the space but then my building was is like loft housing that was renovated in 2008. So my place is super modern and really nice, but the bones of it are this building from 1925. Yeah, um, so it's kind of I have both things in my home. And um, yeah, and that's all of downtown. it's It's crazy that you see huge, beautiful 20s and 30s buildings that are abandoned and then right next to them they're building these huge brand new modern construction towers and it doesn't make any sense (laughs) like you have these buildings that no one's using and you're building new buildings and but it's all eventually they're all going to be developed and concentrated it's just going to take a really really long time.
0: Yeah, I think that's another thing that that sometimes it's hard to see about Los Angeles immediately that as much as it is a place that has always been obsessed with what's the next big industry, how can how can eccentric millionaires come in <laughs> and make money uh that it has retained a lot of its aesthetic from at least around 100 years ago, right? There's a lot of things from the 20s, 30s, 40s mm-hmm. uh still around.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I was actually, uh, I had lunch yesterday with this guy I call L.A. Phil superfan Lance. Um, (laughs) L.A. Phil's superfan Lance knows literally everything about the L.A. Phil. Um, He's uh, in his 70s. He grew up in L.A. like I did. And he's just talked to everyone and knows everyone. And we were talking and he said that L.A. in every decade has reinvented itself. Mm. And that's part of also the character of this city is this idea of uh, reinvention and renaissance. And like everyone is like, what's new? What's young? What's what's, uh, the next big thing? And that's a huge part of it. But like everything with LA, it's a dichotomy. And you also now, over the last 20, 30 years, people realize how much of LA's history was kind of bulldozed and how much they want to preserve what's left of it. Yeah. And a lot of this actually came out of the movement in the late seventies and in the eighties after the fire to preserve the Los Angeles public library, the central library downtown. Yeah. And so LA's um, sort of, uh, conservancy movement is, uh, very new and it's preserving a lot of really cool things that you do get to see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, uh. I I had a friend in town recently and and he's a fan of like uh, old movies, uh, you know, classics in particular. So I wanted to take him to a lot of stuff that was kind of Mm -hmm. old Hollywood. Uh, So uh, we went to Musso and Frank, which I really love Mm. uh, on Hollywood. It's a hundred year old restaurant. It's also it's centenary. Um, And then, you know, and and we really enjoyed that. We ended up sitting by the grill where you could watch them cook the steaks, uh, you know, and it has lots of very. Kind of old American food. I had Welsh rarebit, which you know you can't get right <laughs> at other places, or have people know what the hell you're talking about. And then, like just down the block, uh, there's the Museum of Selfies. <laughs> Too new um, for Derek. Oh my god. I'm
1: like, I I try. I'm tr- I'm at that age where I'm trying not to become curmudgeonly, but maybe I should lean into it. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, Musos is the perfect example because like you can sit at like. F. Scott Fitzgerald's seat at the bar where he would sit with a typewriter or you can sit in the Charlie Chaplin booth and like it was just in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and they didn't have to change the interiors of that one venue because it looks exactly the same.
0: Yeah, the waiters still wear little red jackets. Yes, (laughs) exactly the same. I was gonna ask you if you have a favorite movie or novel or story about Los Angeles because I think that's it's partially because it's a, you know, large metropolis, but it's business in many ways is telling stories. So Mm. it makes sense that Los Angeles would like to tell stories about itself. Right. There are lots of stories about Los Angeles.
1: There are. um, I mean, there's a, like a very long documentary called Los Angeles plays itself. Yes. um, Which is, uh, it's, it's an interesting and has its own little subcultural following in and of itself, but it highlights a lot of these amazing appearances of LA on film. For me personally, um, it has to be Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. Um, I I it's actually the first movie I remember seeing in the theater. I think I was like five six years old when it came out, and my parents took me to see it at the Cinerama Dome, yeah, which is um, now part of the ArcLight, but it's this classic LA theater, and I remember it being so loud, and I was terrified of this movie. <laughs> but looking back now, it just it shows a lot of um, it fictionalizes a lot of what was happening in L.A. in the 1940s. And it's a really a love story to Hollywood and these detective stories. And yeah, it's, there, if there's a movie I go back to, it's that one. Yeah, that
0: might be a good way to kind of sum it up in some ways. Many stories about uh, Los Angeles are described by the creator as a love story. Uh, Mm. Mulholland Drive, David Lynch, who doesn't talk about his own films, described it as a love story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is obviously very much about the relationship between the reality and fantasy Mm -hmm. uh, that Hollywood and Los Angeles can produce. You know, a bunch of other examples. Uh, And it's interesting that all these things that describe themselves as love stories are still very critical. Right? here's some awful shit that goes down here. It's a love story. (laughs) (laughs)
1: no totally yeah
0: yeah uh would you ever want a star on the hollywood walk of fame and if so for what
1: oh you know i don't think they have a writing one right it's Mm. like you get the record one yeah i was like i i'm technically in the music business so (laughs) i would take one of those record ones like yeah Yeah. we just put out our centennial box set of like all our CDs and I got to write the liner notes. So I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. Those are actually eligible for a Grammy. So I'm I'm going all in on my Grammy campaign. I'm announcing it here <laughs> on Obsessed.
0: That That's it. You heard it right here from Grammy eligible. <laughs> <Drive>. <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. Uh, so do you think about Los Angeles every day? Well,
1: I live here, so in the practical sense of, like, getting here today, I had to think, should I take the car or the train? What's sufficient? But in a meta sense, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so
0: your mind wanders to all these kind of things we've been talking about, your fascination with it, the history of it, every day.
1: Yeah, I, like, just... I'm not in this neighborhood very often and I just walked past the bourgeois pig and I like, I used to sit there with my laptop in college working on papers till two in the morning and I haven't been there in 15 years and it's still there. Yeah. And I, I'm going to guess
0: that it looks exactly the same because when I first walked in there it's like. Were they recently shooting Buffy the Vampire Slayer in here? Because it looks like it is frozen in exactly 1997. (laughs) No, uh, exactly. (laughs) It's very weird. Uh, When people walk into your home, can they tell in any way that you're obsessed with Los Angeles? Is there any visual
1: evidence? Yes. So the main wall in my apartment has a piece of... Art that I created. So if you grew up in Southern California before the age of smartphones, you navigated with something called a Thomas Guide, which is the atlas of California. And so I had this idea of taking pages out of Thomas Guides from the year that classic LA movies came out. And so I kind of like wallpapered the wall with it and then with like lanyard string representing <laughs> characters, depict scenes from various movies um, from that year of the Thomas Guide. So the one that's up right now has been up for a while is... From and it doesn't say what it is, and I always ask my friends to guess, and only one of them has figured it out. But it's the scene from Clueless where everyone is driving home from the Val party, and so each string represents a different character in their path home. Because there's a very funny scene where they're all debating about what's most efficient for who to ride with whom, and it's the most LA thing. So that's literally like the stereotype of the like crazed person with the map and the drawing and the string. Like I, I did that for real. So no irony.
0: Somebody can walk into your home and go, what crime are you trying to solve? <laughs> and the answer is the plot of Clueless.
1: Exactly. Do you have a pin for the uh, the neon clown liquor store? Yes. They all uh, start, like, yeah, that's that's how the one person who figured out what it was figured it out. They're so like, why do all of them converge? And it's like, oh, clown liquor. Yeah, <laughs> There you go. Uh, would you ever get a Los Angeles tattoo? Oh, I'm kind of like not really a tattoo person I'm like I have a good memory I don't really need to write it down <laughs> on me but I will if I were to get a tattoo it would probably be related to something LA yeah
0: would you do something like what you've described with your home and just find some like really uh, bizarre iconography that is meaningful to you but isn't immediately obvious to to other people
1: yeah that is that is exactly what i would do and yeah because that that's how i that's why i love this city because there are so many things that i just love that you wouldn't know walking in
0: right right so oh that's fascinating to see which uh which movie you would depict (laughs) as a puzzle on your arm uh would you ever go to a convention
1: and cosplay as los angeles oh um yeah absolutely I I don't know exactly how that would play out. Um, I, you know, probably dressing as one of those detectives, uh, Marlowe or Eddie Valiant from Roger Rabbit, you know, one of those characters that's iconically Los Angeles. As the city itself, that would be tough because it's very spread out. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> if you went to, because this is the kind of thing that would happen, if there was a Los Angeles convention mm-hmm. for everybody to come together and talk about the, their experience or what they like in Los Angeles because you can live here forever and not know a part of it right right uh would you try to
1: dress up as like the year 1919 <laughs> <laughs> I I mean sure that would be pretty difficult <laughs> I'm trying to think of how I would uh encapsulate 1919 um yeah I got I got nothing yeah it, it's a hard one it's yeah. a hard
0: challenge yeah um, would you ever buy and wear underwear that celebrates Los
1: Angeles? Oh, sure. Okay. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so that is a way that you like to celebrate things you like is sort of like just... A, a thing that you're not necessarily going to broadcast to other people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if we, I don't think we make Hollywood Bowl boxers, but I would buy them.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, if they're in the gift store. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, I, my, I went to Hollywood Bowl three times this summer. My nice. wife went five times because we can walk and don't have to deal with the uh, traffic. Oh, you've beaten the, the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> and, yes, so we've been in the gift store many times. And if they're underwear, uh, I would be wearing them for this podcast. <laughs> uh, but that, I'm always interested in that in terms of how people... Because sometimes we want to radiate our obsession so that mm. we engage with other people and talk about it. Or sometimes it's just something that we we want to celebrate just in our own day-to-day life.
1: So- yeah. No. Yeah. Nothing makes me happier than talking about the city. And there's like the Saturday Night Live Californians <laughs> sketches. And like it's. It hurts a little bit because of how true it is, because like most when you meet someone for dinner, like the first topic of conversation is, how did you get here? How did you get here? (laughs) Like, it's genuinely interesting to us.
0: That is very true. That was, excuse me, that was another thing that I I got used to is in another beginning of casual conversation is would be where are you from? Right. And in general, where I grew up, it was assumed that you're probably Mm. from here. A lot of us are from here. Right. Not always true. Uh, and obviously, if I had asked you where you're from, you'd be like, Los Angeles, asshole. I'm from here. <laughs> yeah. um, if you were at a party and you heard someone say a grossly incorrect fact about Los Angeles, would you correct them?
1: It's funny. I am not a confrontational person by nature, but absolutely immediately. <laughs> yeah. I have no qualms about explaining Los Angeles. Yeah. D- is it because it
0: offends you? Or is it because you want to share or is it some of both?
1: It's um, I think it's that I want to share my love of the city and that I do believe genuinely that the city is not intuitive, that it takes a little time to understand. Right. And so I fundamentally respect and appreciate people who are like, I don't like Los Angeles because and very often I'll have a response is like of a reason why I don't think that's a legitimate criticism of Los Angeles. And then there are a lot of people who I'm like, yeah, uh, that's fair. I see your point. <laughs> like it's genuinely not for everyone.
0: Right. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I am really intrigued by your answer. It makes sense to me that you would say, I don't want to be confrontational, but I have this information mm-hmm. and I need to share it with you. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Cause just working with you for the story collider, It was really clear that you were a person who was capable of great precision Mm -hmm. and that you're giving your story great thought, but you were also so open, which makes sense to me for everything we've been talking uh, about, you having a side of yourself that is like very precise and I'm going to figure out the most efficient way to get to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But but also being aware of it so that you feel that you're still a little flowing and free like, like the city itself.
1: Yeah, I'll take
0: that. I'll take that <laughs> compliment. Thank you very much. All right, there you go. Um, would you name a child or pet after Los Angeles in some way? Oh,
1: yeah, I would name a pet after like if mm. I, I found a stray dog once I live off of Olive Street. And uh, if I had kept this dog, I would have named it Oliver. Um, I found its owner and gave it back. But, yeah, so I've almost named a pet after Los Angeles.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, If aliens were visiting Earth and you got to greet them,
1: would you have them land in Los Angeles? Ugh. (laughs) I mean, well, no. Here's my reasoning. Um If they were hostile, I would want them to destroy somewhere else. And if they're not, we already have 10 million people here. So, like, we don't need more people in L.A. Okay, that's the, the flip answer. But the serious answer is, yeah, because I think you get a lot of the world by looking at Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. Where would would you have them land anywhere specific? Physically, you've talked a lot about downtown. Would you have them land on top of the skyscrapers
1: no. and just check out the view? Have you seen Independence Day? <laughs> <laughs> That's point. a bad idea. Um, I think I would start them in uh, the aforementioned Griffith Park. Yeah. It's, uh, there's an observatory. They can look at home. And there's just uh, all of the great things about L.A. It's this natural beauty and interwoven into this very urban environment so yeah yeah you get a good sampling of earth by going to Griffith Park
0: yeah Griffith Park is a uh, a place that I take people in the Griffith Observatory in particular Mm -hmm. because it's got this obviously the observatory which has its own architecture and history and all that uh but then immediately surrounding you is this immense forest and natural area but then stretching in every other view is city 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 right it's a very unique and weird weird vantage point and i think aliens would get a lot out of it uh (laughs) me too (laughs) if you left the city limits and then you were trying to get back home to los angeles but a bear was physically blocking your path would you Mm -hmm. try to get around the bear to get back home to los angeles
1: yeah um bears don't bother me (laughs) the other thing that I mentioned that I didn't mention is like how great our hiking and nature is and so I like my girlfriend and I on the weekends go as much as we can out to the trails and the Sangerville mountains and I remember one time we were turned around because a bear had attacked someone and so they had closed off that path and then we just went to like the next one and went hiking because it's like (laughs) statistically you're 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 Bears are not going to get in your business. You kind of have to provoke a bear. So I'm like, yeah, we got bears. It's no big deal.
0: (laughs) You'd just be like, excuse me, bear. Yeah. (laughs) You're the symbol of California. You must just be greeting me, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That is a great rational response to bears. (laughs) Uh, I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise do you have? I
1: should have prepared for this. I don't know. I think like... This is not typical for LA, but that sound of a hydraulic brake on a metro train, like tsss, of like the doors closing, because yeah. like I love the metro. I'm the biggest fan of public transit in this city. It's, I think it's changing the face of the city and making it so much more livable. And uh, I, I love that sound of the train taking off and taking me where I want to go.
0: That is a great sound. Yeah. in a great truth. Like even people who live here still make fun of the metro is just mm-hmm. like a reflexive joke <laughs> about the lack of right transportation but like yeah my yeah my wife works very far from here mm-hmm. and many days she leaves me the car because she can get to work just fine which I don't think used to be the case.
1: Exactly. Um, I work at my offices in Walt Disney Concert Hall in downtown, and they're about, well, in about two years, they're going to open a new metro station literally under the concert hall. (laughs) And no one I work with has any idea how transformational this is and what it's going to do for people's commutes and where you can live. And it's like it blows my mind that no one cares. It's like they're building this crazy thing that's going to change (laughs) Bunker Hill where we all work, and it's going to make it this thriving center, and nobody nobody knows, and nobody cares. And I was like, in five years, I'm just going to be like, it's amazing. And I was like, yeah, I told you.
0: I feel like most people could grasp, like, what if there was suddenly a magic right. portal underneath you? Right. Uh, I ask everyone to rate their obsession uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Where would you rate this obsession? Oh,
1: um, I give it like an 8 like i'm i'm a total booster i love it here i would recommend it to anyone but i see the downsides and i'm like i'm not one of those la versus new york people i think new york has exceptional things and i could do this podcast about washington dc and all the things that i love about there too okay all cities are great they're just different yeah i think that's great uh but
0: so eight you get yourself up to an 8 because you also have love for other cities or what else keeps that at an 8
1: also have love for other cities and then also yeah la is a pain in the ass sometimes (laughs) yeah like and i recognize that and it
0: is a giant uh giant city it's struggling Mm -hmm. with many of the problems of giant cities struggling with many of the problems of like our specific moment with a lot of uh people trying to come in and build condos and apartments fast and clean up and you know Mm -hmm. there are lots of you know yeah there there are lots of uh uh, things to be uh, total boosterism and then also like yep there are problems here like everywhere else and
1: Yeah, I've talked a lot about the development in downtown Los Angeles and how exciting that is, but what I haven't addressed is that we also have the largest stable population of humans experiencing homelessness, and they're not, they're as much a part of this community as I am, of course, and these communities are built on top of each other, and they're, um, it's creating all sorts of havoc, and you see so much human suffering happening, and our city government is so has been so ineffective at dealing with it. And it's yeah, it's um, I, I, it's it's a reality, and yeah, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think all, all cities have their their various challenges, obviously, and that is one of Los Angeles right now. I, I was really excited to see uh, to read an article about um, a shelter that there's been a move to spend a lot more money. Yes. On shelters. And there was one recently opened in Hollywood in an old library. Mm. And like the, a lot of the shelves are still there mm. for people to put their things on. And like mm. to me, that was like, uh, I generally lean towards being like a, I'm a realist and want to acknowledge problems, but I also like to focus on what is the forward movement to try to make things better. And that was, that was a really nice thing to hear and a really nice picture to see. Absolutely. Of imagining, you know, an old historic space yeah. being put to, good forward movement
1: right yeah one of my favorite quotes about LA is that it's a a a place of space both physical and metaphorical and yeah we do have space and that can be our great asset
0: yeah that's awesome uh we are gonna move on to a little bit of plugging so I want people to be able to find you anywhere that you want to be found in your book and all that so why don't you let people know where they can find you
1: yes you can find me at on twitter uh my handle is my name, Derek, D-E-R-E-K, Traub, T as in Tom, R-A-U-B as in Bob. And then you can find, if you want to read about the um, LA Phil, you can find my book at laphil.com forward slash past forward. The name of the book is Passed Forward, the LA Phil at 100.
0: Awesome. That's really great. Here's some uh, quick plugs for this, and then we will move on to our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash Scrimshaw. All right, here are our fun final questions. Don't have anything to do with the main topic, but they can if you want. If something was named after you—a uh, public park, or a cocktail, or a star—what would you want named after you?
1: Oh, um, oh, a metro station. <laughs> that, that's an obvious one. <laughs>
0: would you like that to be the one under your place yes. of employment? Yes. Yes, I'm going to see
1: what I can do about
0: that. <laughs> then your coworkers will really be like, "Wow, the Derek Traub Center is really changing things." Exactly. <laughs> Uh, In terms of superpowers, would you rather be able to breathe underwater or light your entire body on fire?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Breathe underwater. It seems more practical. Okay.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I guess I should clarify. When I say light your body on fire, I
1: mean, like, the human torch. Like, you would get to be... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's no, I want to use thing. the power. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, that would be like, like, I'm a match now. Is that what yeah. you're telling me? That's not a superpower. No, no, that's not. <laughs> but you would breathe underwater. Yeah. I mean, I live, uh, like five or 10 miles from the. Ocean, like that's yeah. a pretty that's a pretty useful thing to have. Yeah,
0: were you a water person growing up here? Did you did you go into the ocean or did you just look at
1: it? Look at it, <laughs> not at all. I think as soon as you get into the ocean, you're food. Like, <laughs> all
0: right, uh, we've learned that you have no fear of bears, uh, but a healthy concern of uh, the things in the ocean. Yes. Does it make sense? I don't know. <laughs> the final wow. question for everyone on the podcast is: What
1: is happiness? <sighs> Also, a great question. I I guess what I feel about happiness is either depressing or uplifting, (laughs) depending on how you think about it. But if your basic needs are met, you have a job that you don't hate, that pays your bills and a comfortable home that you feel safe in and uh, um, relationships in your life that bring meaning, then I think you kind of wake up in the morning happy or not like I just my happiness meter is just set pretty high I wake up every morning excited to meet the day and I feel like we sort of kind of define happiness in this narrow way that maybe limits people who don't have that and they they might not appear happy in the traditional sense but are and so I feel like yeah you kind of just you I just sort of wake up comfortable in my own skin and I know people who wake up Searching or yeah. wake up with anxiety and like that's their reality and it's no less good or bad than mine So i'm like, yeah happiness is just kind of yeah, i'm i meet every day with happiness. And yeah, I feel really lucky
0: That's really cool. Do you feel like you access the sort of um this? uh Stasis of happiness almost by just Do you actively reflect like when you get to work and you enjoy your job? or You're like, hey, I work in a cool place yeah. Great. Do you, like, do you actually kind of
1: remind yourself of that to stay in a happiness place? Yeah, I do. It's funny. that actually reminds me of a story. So, the LA Phil's uh, former music director is a man named Esapekka Salonen, and he's Finnish. And he moved as a young man to LA to become the LA Phil's conductor. And he told us a story recently about—and he, when he moved to L.A., couldn't have been more Finnish and more alien to the city of L.A. And now he lives here and loves California, and he moved back especially to um, work in San Francisco, and he's written symphonies and music about Los Angeles. And he told us the story one day um, after he had been living in L.A. for a couple of years. He was making coffee in his kitchen and he just realized he was happy for no reason. And he's like, <laughs> you don't understand for a Finnish person. That's extraordinary. <laughs>
0: that is a great story and I think a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, well, thank you.
1: This has been a pleasure. That is our podcast.
0: You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest.
1: Rate five stars if you're impressed. Along the lines of amazing non-obvious things about Los Angeles, there is a neon cruise and what it is, it's run by this guy named Eric Linksweiler, who loves, if I love Los Angeles in 8, he loves Los Angeles in 8,000, and he gets a double-decker bus, and they go touring through downtown and through Hollywood on Saturday nights uh, looking for neon, and it's really just him telling hilarious stories and jokes, and you're flying at night down Sunset Boulevard on this double-decker bus, and it's freezing cold, and it's hilarious, and... If it's only a few, it's like one Saturday a month during the warm months. And uh, yeah, I cannot recommend it enough.